0: Good morning. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Uh, We were able to enjoy some time together with uh, family in in Wichita. We went down and saw Diane's family down there. Both of our kids are home from college. And so, you know, I kind of think of uh, this when uh, Christmas comes, you know, we have this remarkable time of year that we get the opportunity to reflect on just this incredible gift that God has given to us, his son. And then if we have the pleasure of being able to be with family or friends, it's like a double bonus. Um, And so I hope that you were able to do that as well. But sometimes you're not able to be with family or friends. And my encouragement would be that the Lord is present and uh, he is the reason that we worship and we celebrate Christmas. And so I hope that it was a special time for you. Uh, We have the opportunity when we get together with Diane's family, one of the traditions we have is we always read the story out of Luke chapter 2, the grandkids take time and read the story. And so it's a great opportunity to reflect on and hear the words again out of Scripture about how God brought about this amazing gift. And And I was thinking about that uh, when we were driving home last night in the, in the in the storm and the wind and the rain and the sleet and all that good stuff. Driving home, I was thinking about uh, Mary and Joseph and just thinking of all the things that they must have been going through uh, in that time period. One of the things I was thinking of, the encouragement that came to me was, you know, one of the things they really didn't have to worry about is what they were going to name their baby. I mean, think about it. The angel appears to Mary, and uh, and he tells her, don't be afraid, which, you know, anytime an angel appears to you, I'm sure that you're never afraid when an angel shows up. But the angel says, don't be afraid. And he tells the story. He says, you know, God has chosen you to be the one who's going to bring this child, his Savior, his child, into the world. And he says, and you will name my son Jesus. And then he appears to Joseph, because Joseph doesn't really understand what's going on either. And so Gabriel appears to Joseph. He basically confirms what Mary's been saying and tells Joseph as well. Second time, he says, you will name the child Jesus. And that name has significant meaning. It means the Lord saves. It's a pretty appropriate name for the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, that was one thing they didn't have to worry about. There's a lot of other things that they were, I'm sure, Uh, thinking about and pondering and maybe even anxious about, but that wouldn't be one of them. And I was thinking about when Diane and I had our kids, and, you know, the first, when we knew Diane was pregnant, the first time we went out and got one of those big baby book name name books, and we were looking at all the names and trying to figure out what we would name our kids. And and we came up with the name Connor for our son, and we looked at the meaning of that name because we wanted to make sure the meaning was significant and, and appropriate, and it meant it's Irish for a great warrior. We thought, well, a great warrior for God. Well, we like that name, so we'll use that name. And then, when we were blessed with a second child, we were looking at the names and wondering, what are we going to name? You know, we never, we never uh, did the test that would tell you whether you're going to have a boy or a girl. We wanted to be surprised, and so we tried to come up with names for both a boy and a girl, not knowing what we were going to get. And and so we had a name for our daughter. We we came up with the name Rachel. It's Hebrew for precious lamb of God. We thought well, that's a great name for a girl and. We wrestled with the names for the boys, and, and we could not come up with a name that we were just like, oh, that's the name if we have a son. And so we, Diane was delivering. We still didn't have a name for the son, and I was kind of a little stressed out about that. And Diane said, there's other things to worry about right now. We'll come to that later if it happens. And so fortunately God gave us a daughter, and we didn't have to worry about coming up with a boy's name. But it was interesting to think about what the meaning of the names, you know, what that meant and how that was connected with the names that you give your kids, and maybe it wasn't a big deal for you. You just, you know, you were William, and you said, My son's going to be William Jr. It's not that big a deal. But it's interesting in this story, not only is Jesus telling Mary and Joseph, You're to name the baby Jesus, the Lord saves, but, but 700 years before Jesus came, when, when Isaiah, one of the prophets, was prophesying about the coming Messiah, God was speaking through Isaiah, and he, he said, Here's the names that this child will be given. These, these are the names that this child will represent when he comes into the world. And he uses some amazing names that are connected with Messiah. I want to go back to, to verse 6 again. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, The Prince of Peace. Now every time I read that verse or I hear it spoken, you know what comes into my mind? Handel's Messiah. Does that ever happen to you when you hear that passage? I hear the the great music and the, the names coming out through Handel's Messiah. It's just a great song connected with that passage of Scripture. Now I want you to think just for a moment. Just imagine last night while you're sleeping, the doorbell rings and you kind of groggily wake up and you realize someone's at the door. And so you're throwing a robe and you kind of waddle out to the door and you peer out a little suspiciously and you look out through the glass and you don't see anybody there. And then you happen to look down and you notice that on the porch there's a basket with a blanket on it. So you open the door and you look around and you pick the basket up. It weighs quite a bit and you bring it into the house and you lift the blanket and there's a healthy baby boy in the basket. And there's a note attached to the baby boy that says, Merry Christmas. This baby boy is for you. No strings attached. What would you think if that happened? Would some of you respond, hey, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. A few of you might. Probably most of us would go with something like, I'm too old. I don't have enough time. I, I don't know that I want to handle this baby that's been given to me. Uh, I don't have enough room. You'd come up with a hundred excuses for what to do with that child. And, And this morning, Isaiah basically is doing the same thing spiritually for us. He's laying a baby at the door of our heart. And he says, to us, a child is born. To us, a child is given. You see, Christmas isn't just a story about a baby being born. It's a story about a baby being born. To us, for us, given to us. That's the gift that God is laying at the doorstep of your heart. How are you going to respond? Some natural questions would be, why is the son being given to us? How much work is he going to be? Am I going to have to change his diapers and feed him? Wait a second, let me think about it. Maybe it's, am I going to have to feed him and then change his diapers, right? I mean, all kinds of questions would come with that. Isaiah tells us in this passage why, why God gives us this son as he talks about who he is and what he would do. So today I just want to go back and look at these names, these descriptions that Isaiah gives to this child, this baby boy, that's put at our doorstep. And hopefully these names and descriptions will open the door to your heart and make you welcome the true meaning of Christmas again, which is, unto us, a child, is born. That's a really big deal. So I want us to think about in this passage of Isaiah chapter 9, the giving of a baby is presented with an interesting background and kind of comparison in Isaiah. He compares it to the day of Midian's defeat. If you've got your Bibles, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to look at verse 4 that kind of comes ahead of this, verses 6 and 7 that we read. And it's interesting that Isaiah is speaking of Midian. What's this deal about Midian? verse 4 it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar laid across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Who is Midian? And what was going on in this situation? Why is this connected with this prophecy in in Isaiah chapter 9? And how were they defeated? See, Midian wasn't a person. It was a group of people. And uh, actually, if you want to know more about it, you can go to Judges chapter six through eight, and then you'll get the whole story about what was going on at the day of Midian. But I'll give you a short context of this. The context was uh, in this time of history, Israel had turned their back on God. They kind of had this history where they'd, they'd obey him for a while, and then they'd lose track. They'd forget about him. They'd turn their back, and they'd worship other idols. And this is one of those moments. So they've kind of turned their back on God. They're worshiping the idols of the groups of people around them. And, and God basically gives Israel over in defeat to what's called the Midianites. It's a, one of their enemies that's in the, in the area. And these Midianites were ruthless people. They had ruthless warriors, ruthless army. And, and they would come in every year, while they took control, they would come in every year and they would take all of the crops of the Israelites and they would take their livestock and, and oftentimes they would kill uh, men and, and family members. And so the Israelites, when the warriors would ride in, they, they would head for the hills. They would go hide out. They would go hide out literally in caves until they had come and stolen all the crops and the livestock they wanted and then they would come back out. They were in fear of these, these people. And in the midst of all this that was happening, Israel finally... They, they cry out to God, they turn back to God, and they cry out to God, asking God to save them. And God does this amazing thing. He chooses this leader named Gideon, and, and he takes literally 100 men, and he goes against the whole army, this massive army of Midianites, and defeats them with only 100 men, and God did this thing. And it's just this amazing story. And in this passage of Judges 6-8, through 8, there's one verse that sticks out, as Israel's turning back to God and they're... They're recognizing their sin and their disobedience. They cry out and they say, our offenses, our offenses and our sins weigh us down. And we are wasting away because of them. I think it's interesting that that sin works a lot like the Midianite army. It surrounds us. It, it, It takes away the things that God wants us or desires for us to pleasure in. It makes us run to the hills and hide from the effects of sin and and hide from the embarrassment and even the sheer terror of God's wrath toward our sin. There's nothing that we can do about it. We aren't strong enough. It attacks us on the internet. It attacks us at work. It attacks us at school. It attacks us from the inside. Sin is even worse than the Midianites. We cannot hide from it. We can't hide from it. We can't go into a cave and get away from it. It even comes into the cave of our heart in our mind. We're born into it. Scripture tells us. So the context here in Isaiah, the context of Midian's defeat is all important. You can make this connection. You know, if you live this life happy with who you are and and what you do and what you have, Christmas will never be more than a nice story about a baby that's born. And you'll say to yourself, well, hmm, that that's, Interesting. And then right away kind of move towards well, but I wonder what else did I get for Christmas? You know, what what do I have that I can see or I can eat or I can play with? But if you recognize that you were born in slavery to sin, under the control of Satan, in in need of delivery from an enemy, then you'll sit on the edge of your seat and you'll ask the question What is the meaning of this baby? What kind of a son? has been given to us. So I just want to work through the names in Isaiah and just understand a little bit more what's the meaning behind the names to understand and uncover that. The first name is wonderful. What a great name, wonderful. Well, what do you think of when you hear the word wonderful? Well, if you're soccer fans, you might think of if you know some history of soccer, there was a great player back in the 60s and 70s called Pele. Anybody ever heard of Pele? He was a guy who changed the game of soccer, literally. He was this amazing, amazing player. Why am I talking about Pele? Well, the word for wonderful in in this passage is Pele. Isn't that interesting? Pele, this Brazilian soccer star, one of the things he changed the game was he created all new kinds of ways to score. And one of the things he was famous for was what was called a bicycle kick. It was this deal where you see guys do it today. They basically throw their body backwards and kick the ball in the air with their feet up above their heads. Pele was the first one that kind of made that famous. And when you compare Pele with all the other soccer players of his age, he was truly wonderful. And you get a little bit of what this means in Isaiah's prophecy. Pele is used also in Psalm seventy-eight twelve, And it says that God did wonders. God did Pele in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. It means that God is a doer of miracles, of, a, of amazing things, of marvelous, wonderful things that are almost beyond understanding and certainly beyond any ability of a human being to do these things. The same word is also used in Judges 13, 18, when it when it means incomprehensible or beyond understanding. In that verse, it's talking about God's name. It says, why do you ask me my name? It is beyond understanding. It is beyond Pele. So other parts of the Bible say that God is Pele, that God is wonderful. There's no doubt that Isaiah is speaking and calling this promised child Pele. He means that he was divine, that he would be God himself coming in the form of a child. In fact, the coming of this child would be the greatest wonder of all, the greatest act of God's, all of God's actions in human history, the act of salvation. And then we get to the word that's paired with that called counselor. What do you think of when you think of the word counselor? You know, I think of sitting in an office with the guy at the big chair, and you're sitting in a big chair or on the couch, and you're sharing all your problems. It means so much more than that. Isaiah 11, verse 2 says, Speaking of this new king that would arise from the stump of Jesse, says that the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him, the spirit of counsel and of power. Micah, another prophet, 4, 9 says, Another verse links the word counselor with king. And so you have this word counselor connected with these important roles. And counsel, as it's understood here, is the perfect wisdom that enables the king to make right decisions in leading the people. It refers to the perfect understanding of God's will and and knowing exactly what, what is right and what God's purposes are. If we think about kings, kings typically would have around them groups of of advisors or counselors that would try to help them make the very best decision they could in any kind of circumstance and to understand all the different aspects of their kingdom. But the wonderful counselor of Isaiah's prophecy doesn't need a team of advisors. He will know he will have the wisdom to make the right decisions without resorting to a second opinion. Later on in this book, Isaiah explicitly says that these are the characteristics of God himself Isaiah 28, 29 says all of this comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. So this promised child will be called wonderful counselor. and, And I think it's a clear description, a statement of deity that this child is God. He's the perfect king for his people because he's not merely another human king, but a wonder of a king. Perfect in wisdom. And knowledge, able to lead and guide his people with perfect justice and truth. And then we get to the word mighty. What do you think of when you come to the word mighty? There's so many different images that come to your mind. The word that's used, the root word is, is described as gabor, which means hero. And so it's a doer of mighty, of great things, of mighty acts for someone else that they can't do for themselves. Has anybody gone to Abilene recently and gone to President Eisenhower's library? You know, you think about President Eisenhower. Before he became president, he was a pretty significant hero of World War II. He was the supreme commander of all the um, nations that were the allies. And uh, he was the one that actually helped kind of coordinate and devise the plan that was the greatest amphibious assault in the history of the world uh, when they came onto the beaches at D-Day. And maybe the greatest thing that he did when he was this great war general was that he kind of held together all the different leaders and all the different generals from all the different nations, and he coordinated all of them into this kind of unified plan. And it was kind of a remarkable thing for him to be able to hold all these leaders together and be unified in what they were trying to accomplish. And so certainly, if we think about history, that Eisenhower is a leader who committed deeds that were worthy of commemoration, and they're worthy of being honored. If we think about in the Bible, you can think about Moses who led the uh, Israelites, the Hebrews, out of Egypt, out of slavery and toward the promised land. Certainly he was a hero in the Bible. We can think about uh, Joshua who actually uh, helped them defeat Jericho and he was the one who brought them in to the promised land. We can think about David when he fought Goliath, the giant. I mean, the giant Goliath had been uh, terrorizing King Saul's army for for many, many Uh, for a long time, and David comes and and he defeats this mighty giant. Certainly that was a great act of salvation for Israel and for their army. This promised child, we're told, will also be mighty. He's going to be mighty. But he also, with mighty, comes the word God. How do we describe that name? God. You know, the simplest Hebrew word for God is El, E-L, El. It's the word that, that is used to simply refer to the one true God, the creator, the supreme being. It's used in conjunction oftentimes with other words that kind of help us understand God a little bit more and his character and, 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 and how, He's, uh, how he is. And, and so, you, for example, there's El Shaddai or God Almighty. It, it's never used of man. It's the complete opposite. In fact, it's often used as the opposite of the word man. God is not man. But here it's combined with the word Gabor, and, and which means hero again. And so in giving this child a name, Isaiah is describing him as a hero who's far beyond what Moses or Joshua or David were like. He's calling him a divine hero, a God who does heroic acts. And this is the God of salvation. Isaiah says later in chapter ten twenty one, he says uh, this about talking about Israel returning to... From captivity in Babylon, he says a remnant will return, will return to the mighty God. It's the same word used there. So think of Christ in his earthly ministry, healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the sick. Think about Christ calling out Lazarus from the tomb after he'd been dead for over three days. Think about Jesus when he raised, was raised from the dead after three days. Think about the mighty power that was in him. He was El Gabor. He was the mighty God. He's everlasting. That's a really hard name to kind of comprehend, especially humans defined by space and time. How do we understand everlasting? It speaks about forever. No ending. And I think about that, I tend to think about forever as being that thing that goes on and on forever. But I tend to forget to look back and realize that also means there was no beginning either. There's no ending. There's no beginning. It's forever. And it's said of God that he lives forever. Literally, it means that he lives in the forever. He inhabits eternity. He's not caught up in restrictions of time or space like we are. Therefore, he does not change. He doesn't get older or slower or frail. Nor does he need to mature or grow or learn. He is who he is. He is the way he is forever. And Isaiah says the promised child is everlasting. Think about how astonishing that statement is connected with a child. A child born into the world and yet is called everlasting. The child will not come into existence when it's born. For he is everlasting. No ending. No beginning. Could Isaiah say more plainly and more clearly that this child... Is God incarnate? God become a child? And then we have the word father. You know, the best thing about a good father, they include compassion, loving care, protection, guidance, support, encouragement. And throughout the Bible, God is called the father. Psalm one hundred and three thirteen says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah 63, 16 says, You, O Lord, our Father, our our Redeemer from of old is your name. So Isaiah's prophecy boldly is linking these two names in relationship to the promised child. He's saying that he's a forever father like that to his people. He is the everlasting father. And then the last phrase, Prince of Peace. What a magnificent and just a, Profound exclamation point on the end of these names. Remember, when, when Isaiah is giving this prophecy, Israel is at war. There is no peace in the land. They're in this great battle with their enemy. And beyond that, they have a king who's not handling the situation very well at all. The people of God were under threat both from the enemy nations, but also from the ungodliness of their king, King Ahaz. It was not a good time. There was no peace. That's why at the end of Isaiah 8, God's people at the time are said to see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. It's a bleak time in Israel's history. And yet to them them, this promise is made that they will see a great light. That their warfare will end because unto us a child is born and his name will be Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Because his kingdom will be of one That will be of peace. It won't be established by fighting a war. Jesus won't need an army to protect his kingdom. It's not like that, is it? It's going to be a kingdom that he upholds his peace in. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate when he was in front of Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight for me. They would try to prevent my arrest. But my kingdom is from another place. He's the prince of peace. Because the cause of war, human sinfulness and rebellion from God, will be dealt with. Later in Isaiah, we read about one who will suffer for the sins of God's people. Who will be crushed because of what we have done, our wrongdoing. And it's laid upon this Messiah, this Savior, who will be punished in our place. And the end the result of all of this, Isaiah is saying, is that we will have peace. When we were made right with God, by putting our faith in Jesus, we have peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Isaiah tells us today, we're reminded again that a son is born to us. To us a child is given. And the names that go with this child, wonderful, counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This son has been laid at the door of our heart this this morning. God did not come... To please himself, he did not give this son for his angels or for them alone. He gave his son to us, each and every one of us who are sinful humans. That's really the key to Christmas. This wonderful son came for us and for us and to us. The sad thing is, is that many people, they don't want this Jesus. They look at him as maybe another obligation another duty, another Moses. They'd rather have Santa Claus just give them their toys, their gifts, something they can feel, touch, have physically, play with, TVs, electronic gadgets. Other people think that maybe this is a mistake, that this child has been laid at their feet, because certainly they're not worthy. They're not, you know, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. I'm not as good as other people are. And so certainly this Jesus can't be for me. And they're not ready. Or at least they don't think they're ready. However, if the message of this gift of the Son makes you say to yourself, Thanks be to God. Thank you, God. If it makes uh, or brings a peace to your heart that can only come through Christ, to know that your sins are forgiven and that when we give ourselves to Christ, that basically God says, I'm now adopting you. I'm grafting you into my family, my everlasting family forever forever with me that you're a part of the us to us a son is given to us a son is born then you know that the holy spirit's done more than just put this child at the door of your heart the holy spirit has allowed that gift of that child to come into your heart and lead you and guide you and bring you that peace that describes him as the prince of peace you know that unto us a child is born And what a wonderful child he is. So Merry Christmas again. And I encourage you to think about those names that God gives to us. For unto us a child is born. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you uh, in your infinite wisdom, in your loving care that you were willing to give us the gift of your Son, that you were able to come up with a mysterious and a amazing and almost unbelievable plan to take on human flesh in the form of your Son, to become one of us, so that we might know who you are and what you're about. Not only that, but you might, that Jesus was able to reconcile us to you through the gift of his life and his death. In his resurrection. God, thank you that you promised us this child and you delivered, and that you gave him the name Jesus, the one who saves, the Lord saves. God, we thank you that you gave us the gift of a Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? to respond to the message we just received.